0: Here you have Which Reinhardt. number are we? Number four. Number we can four. To. All right. okay. Number four and five. They, uh, they These are both Reinhardt? These are both Reinhardt and they're intentionally geometrically balanced. Mm-hmm. The color that you see on this paper is even more apparent than when you see it in person. Mm-hmm. They felt that you had to give the paintings time. Because if you just walk by one of these paintings, they'll look black. Uh They're forcing you, listen to that. What artist can take you by the shoulder and say, slow down? Hmm. The paintings themselves demand that you slow down. Right. And by using thin paints, and I went to his studio several times, and actually saw, now I realize what it was, He had his many jars, this is Reinhardt, many jars in which he would somehow mix. He would well, he, he pour oil paints, squeeze oil paints in, and let it kind of pickle there in some turpentine or some kind of thinner, and then pour it off and use that in some way. Hmm. Now, he used very, very thin paints that way. Rothko used very thin paints that way. But you may look at a Reinhardt and a Rothko, as we soon will, and you'll say, well, they're the same. Mm. In fact, when you, you look at... Um, number six and seven. Okay. Um, number five and six. Oh, number five and six. You got wrong numbers here, I think. Unless, five. Let, let, okay, look at five and six. Five and six. Now, okay, when you so look at a five, would it dawn upon you that someone who painted number five should be at total odds and conflict with the one that painted four? Are they so no, different? Six, you mean. Five and six. Well, Five okay. and six. Okay, here. Five. Four is oh. Oh, four okay. is your Reinhardt, right? Okay, four is
1: Reinhardt. Five is, Five is Rothko. Ah, I see. Would okay. you think
0: they were so different? Hell, they were different. And let me try to just explain briefly, if I can, the difference. Rothko is giving you these minor brush strokes. Rothko is giving you a simmering color. Rothko is giving you, especially in six, you see, an element in of design. Five in
1: five.
0: Go to six. Okay, go to six. All right. You see. Okay. Now, look how much more there is in that number Rothko six. In number mm-hmm. six. Right. Now they're differing in what they want to express. Reinhardt is saying there's nothing to express but this painting. Rothko is saying, "I want you to." I want. He even said, "I want people to cry in front of my paintings." Mm. Now, speaking of the number eighteen, do you know that uh, you see someone looking at a Rothko in number number eight? Number eight. Rothko said he wanted people to be. He wanted people to be eighteen inches from his paintings. Really, Hmm. is that specific? Yeah. Very, you'll find it in the writings. And that's close, right? That's really Well, good. what they wanted is the experience of it, just enveloping, enveloping you. you enveloping yeah. you, know, But I want to make it very clear yeah. that he was eons away from Reinhardt in that he felt it should express something. Hmm. Reinhardt said not. But again, they both are, I want to emphasize, the primacy of looking rather than looking for a story. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to just ex- extract the essentials. All right. I want to get to the third person, because although he's abstract as well, this is Hans Hoffman, number number twelve, and I happen to get a photograph of something that really is seminal in what he was trying to do. He was saying, not only do you put paint on the canvas and respect the canvas, Mm -hmm. Reinhardt. Not Mm -hmm. only did you do that and have... Emotional content. A little bit of emotional content and have it come forward, Mm -hmm. but do you know something? If you push, and that's how he would teach, you Uh push and you pull the colors out towards you and you add lines, Uh you will then still be respecting
1: the The format,
0: but you're activating it in Uh a way that's okay. Uh-huh. He he. He gave in, his lecture
1: to the. To in the, fact, this he, within within abstraction. He used
0: it? a word, yeah. which I feel, which he coined, yeah. plastic space, uh-huh. which means that it's not space that's fooling you with illusion
1: mm-hmm.
0: by modeling or or right. or perspective, right. but because what's really happening. Look, if you put one shape in front of another, right. You get something happening. It feels like it's in front of it, regardless of what. It is. Mm -hmm. If you put one color in front of another, Mm -hmm. things are going to happen. And if you take lines and start to introduce them, they will undulate throughout the forms.
1: So you have number 13. So now you have something interesting.
0: 13 and 14 are his early paintings, which were (coughs) landscapes. Hmm. And to the end, I remember in, in the last class I took with him, he would still refer to his work somewhat as landscapes, but not the usual landscapes. But what was happening in the landscape? I'm like lo- looking out, you're not, <laughs> looking out. There's something in front and there's space in between and there's a line coming here and there's colors coming forward, there's that bright orange flower. and The physical attributes of what you see in the landscape, mm. those he would be able to express in his paintings through what he called the plasticity of the color, mm. the plastic space. So you see two landscapes and then you see on number 15, yeah, a totally abstract painting of his which he still considers to be landscape space Mm -hmm. but you don't see any trees anymore Uh uh and I also threw in a number 16 because to all these people scale was very important. Oh wow. I mean when you stand in front of something and it's that size now what when you say wow you know what that means? That means, physically, this thing is affecting me. That's what they want! Right. They want you to feel it physically, not say, that's an eyebrow, therefore, you know, so and so It's a nice cow,
1: right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, so. Okay. Uh-huh. so, Dad, so these three guys, with their very different approaches, and I think you charted them uh, evolutionarily very nicely, I'd like to talk in our remaining time, we have about 10 or 15 minutes oh, okay, left, nice. um, yeah. about your own art and your relationship, um, the relationship between it and, the, and your predecessors and then we'll maybe open up the floor because yep. I'm sure people have um, questions about the relationship between the beginning of our talk and uh, the present okay. place where we are so be so caveat I- first of all um, we're showing slides they're not so easy to see detail mm-hmm. will be difficult we'll um, but we're gonna get out of the way so you can see them and uh, everybody should stand up and stretch meanwhile and sit back down Okay. Oh, that's backwards. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, Dad. I'd like you to talk a little bit about your art and its relationship to your predecessors. Um, I've asked to move back, but I'm now in the sun, so I, I don't know how long. I don't know. Maybe perhaps you could move back. Thank you. Um, relationship to your predecessors and also a fundamental question somebody asked what got you involved in art and you're shrugging your so- <laughs>
0: shoulders I can't answer that except to say that there's evidence of my uh, very early interest in it you know what a Gomorrah is? big yeah. volume the Talmud. of Talmud right? but these were student Gomorrahs right. from the age of uh, eight all the way through you know seventeen right. if you if uh, in my sister's attic are six or eight of these. And in all of the margins, in addition to the Rashi and the Totevot and all the elaborate explanations of the Talmud, are my cartoons. So
1: you always had it in you, basically. and Maybe right. you got it from Zadie Meyer. Okay, let's talk about this art, some of which is very difficult to see. So, okay.
0: okay, basically, what you're not seeing is real color. or It's very hard to show. I selected from a great archive a large archive, those images that I think have something to do with what we talked about before. So in relation to being um, affected by these three people, here what you cannot see, so I'll have to describe, is a charcoal drawing. Uh, It's got nuanced charcoal uh, panels, and there's a white line going through it. You can see the influence of wanting to stay within the format and also the Hans Hofmann idea of a line magically, undulating through and out of, but in my own way of doing it.
1: Next, please.
0: Can hardly see this, too bad, but um, here is a, an etching, monoprint and etching in which the glowing areas on the top and in the bottom were evidently influenced by Rothko, perhaps. Uh, It's a dark picture, but it glows. And it's, I said, it's very hard to see in this light. Now, uh, someone asked me about the Jewish content in art. I don't know. I can't answer for it. But in a lot of the early pictures, there is a presence. Mm. There's this magical presence up there somewhere. Numinous,
1: we call it in the study of religion. That is, you know, it's, it's, it's there and it's overwhelming, but it's, it's, it sort of colors the whole
0: enterprise. And there's also, you know, um, uh, Gilui and Nistar.
1: That is revealed and concealed, right?
0: That a lot of my work has to do with that. It has to do with you know, subtleties. It's there and yet it's not there. Mm. And this is a, this is a, a concept, okay? Next thanks.
1: one. No, the other oh. way, please.
0: Okay, I wanna stop here for a minute because this gives you a little bit about the era. Okay, so it's 1970 um, uh, ab- approximately. I'm in my loft in what now is called uh, Fancy Tribeca. Then it was just- uh, Sweatshops. <laughs> no, actually cheese factories. And, right. and uh, it, w- it was called Washington Market a uh, friend of mine We uh, 12 of us bought a building uh, this was after Soho uh, became what it was and artists were looking for even cheaper places and larger spaces uh, 12 of us bought a building right on Hudson Street, Corner Beach and one of my neighbors was Cesar Paternosto who Mark I think met when he was very young Yeah, sure. and he was in the midst of writing a book uh, with uh, a critic from the Times, Lucy Lepard. if any of you can remember that long. And, uh, okay, so I get a telephone call. I'm out to teach the next day. I was teaching at Brooklyn at that time, or SVA. And, uh, hi, Yale, I'm here with a friend from Europe, and um, we, we, you know, we're we're at Ken's, Ken's, what is Bar and it? Bar and, Grill. Bar and Grill on 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 uh, on. It on, was Bar and Grill. Right? Yeah, on, on Bro- um, Broom Street. Broom Street. Right. And we were going to visit Caesar, and I forgot that he's back in South America. I'd like to show him. You know, you're an artist. You're close by. I said, "Yeah, come over." As I said, I was I was teaching, and I was I was about to go to sleep. I cleaned up a little bit, and they here they walk in the door, both of them. And this gives you a sense of something that could happen only in that era. Today it's a totally different art world. So he's looking over the work and looking over the pastels and as I was telling a gentleman here about the pastels that I did not want want to work directly into the, the paper, I'd use marble dust underneath and fix it and then the colors would come forward. It was kind of magical looking pastels. And uh, he's talking about my technique, and then he says, well, you know, he starts to segue into, we could, we could do this with a serigraph, and I'm thinking, well, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> we, I, I'm telling him what I'm doing, and he's saying, we could? Well, it turns out that this guy was, who was brought by Lucy Laparte to look at my work, was one of the, one if not the, primary publishers and printers of art for artists that are incredibly known throughout the world. I mean, we're talking about you know Rauschenberg and Alex Katz and, and Richard Estes and all that. He he, and there he was. You know, I didn't even know he was there. Long story short, went to Germany, Stuttgart, worked with his technicians, and we produced our first print. The technician, by the way, was. Gepke. Now Gepke thought I was communicating to him in German. I didn't know German. He thought I was speaking German with the strange little inflections and accents. So I spent the last, in, the last, in about 12 years, we ended up doing several editions and marketing them and I worked with him but the, uh, the way the artwork world worked at that time, some of you were interested in that, was that Domberger was his name, Domberger Editions, would not only print for the artists but because of his reputation would get the prints into the highest level of galleries in New York. And the highest level was Pace, Pace Editions in New York, and a wonderful woman, Karen McCready, died a few years ago. He was very close friends with her, so we did this print, and he shows it to her. She says, what's well, this print. Oh, uh, it's glowing. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful print." But uh, you know, I can't show one print. You've got to show at least a few, so that there is a portfolio. You know, that's what you do professionally. Long story short, I ended up, in the next 12 years, going to Germany every other year, sometimes every year, and printing with Gepke. <laughs> uh, so, so in essence, this leads to many other things that led to many other things. Because being at Pace, I, I mean, I'll give you one, just one example. So there's this, uh, Ambassador to Hong Kong, if it's an ambassador or somebody in the embassy, uh, his wife is putting on a show, a very large show of Americans, in, in whatever that year was. She looks for art. Where does she go? To Pace. Pick me. I'm in with you know all these other people, uh, and that's what. It snowballed, went from there. That could not happen today. Next. Just some more examples that uh, have obvious influences. You can ask questions if you want. Now here, what you can't see is.
1: Along those sides.
0: Early early on in, in 1980, 88, What's emerging in the pictures is this kind of scribble-like calligraphy. Later on, that became a major, major concern of mine for about 10 years, this make-believe calligraphy in which I was using dancing lines rather than what the calligraphy means. Uh, We'll get to some of those later on, but this was the first one. Next. A landscape also appeared in that same form. Next. More landscapes. Again, I wish you could see the color there. You know, I'm, I'm all about color, and this is all about not color. <laughs> <laughs> so these are landscapes. And around the, uh, the periphery are uh, called collographs, done with a, an etching press in which you build up the, the texture.
1: So there are multiple techniques in single print.
0: Yes. I always loved landscape, and intermittently would introduce landscapes into the work. Uh, these are very subtle, again, barely visible. Okay, now what you're seeing. Down in the white
1: band, in the light-colored band, you see those calligraphic strokes, almost like Chinese. So calligraphy. I started
0: to, started to integrate these uh, calligraphic. I'll just, just give you a sense of where this comes from. Uh, Deborah and I do a lot of traveling, and going into Southeast Asian countries and Himalayas countries, I am blown away by the signage. It could be something that really says this way to the bathroom. <laughs> and I'm in ecstasy over the way the lines are, You know? so I just love that. And in fact, when I, uh, I actually took courses in calligraphy, actually Japanese brush painting in Soho, I had to forget all that later on because I didn't want to make things mean anything. I just wanted the dance of the line to work in with the, with the rest of the image.
1: So you were taking a Reinhardtian turn on calligraphy, that is, that it's the form and the surface that's. The well most said, my,
0: my son. That's what they paid me for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Here's another one. And you see the, the effects. Now, there was this, this square within the square, and there's this little thing in the middle that's glowing. We don't know what it is, and yet it just talks to you, but the colors are. <laughs> Right. I can cry about the color. Okay. Okay, next. Uh, even th- this has a little thing happening. And theres cl- I don't know if you can see it, but those little whitish areas are really calligraphy that's painted out with a brush. Mm. In other words, getting back to the paper, brushing it out. I thought I would give you a close-up of the calligraphy, even though it's a close-up. Um, you can't quite make it out in this light, but uh, it's really playing with lines and shapes, and as I said, the dance and the gesture, and making it part of the image.
1: And sometimes it goes up and down, and sometimes it goes in the direction of Hebrew or Arabic, right? Mm-hmm. It rarely goes in a, in
0: a left to right, no, right direction.
1: So it's always there's some exotic element to it, always.
0: Mm-hmm. My one and only, actually there were two, uh, of experiments with Hebrew. I had a problem with Hebrew. What's the problem? Oh, it's a print. No. I know Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, you know, I worked it out where I could make, make believe stuff and even if, you, even if this was a clear, clear slot, slide, you would see clear letters, but they wouldn't make sense. Right. This, by the way, is in a collection of our local synagogue. Now, this is funny. Mark, you don't know about this. No. Moshe Tzvi, my.
1: Your yeshivish uh, uh, brother in law. Brother in law. Right.
0: Came over to visit. You know, they come over and they can have a fruit. Right. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's like me, But he, like,
0: he likes art. so he looked at this one. He likes, he likes art. I show him this stuff. He says, yeah, la blad Gemora.
1: Uh-huh. It's like a page of the Talmud, right? Yeah.
0: Can you explain why?
1: Well, because there's, there's a central text, so to speak, and there's, uh, there's margins. Would
0: I ever have thought of a gem like that?
1: <laughs> so in, in a way, it's unconscious. Maybe. It emerges. Next. Uh-huh. Ooh.
0: Now, speak of unconscious. What does this remind you of? I mean, if it's white on black or black on white, it's yeah. like when you tell her a squirrel. Yet I had did not have that in mind. These are all uh, handmade papers and all kinds of it's stuff.
1: Japanese Torah scroll. Yeah. It's a Seth Siegel Torah scroll, I think. This could be said. <laughs> oh, these are beautiful. Next. You got that crackler. Oh right? yeah, They're the crackle. Surface. Right? I
0: I experiment. My, my studio is like a chemistry lab, like a chemistry lab in some sense. I use potions and, <laughs> and powders to make things happen and i learned the way to deal with crackles in a way that makes something look old and the calligraphy looks old and i just get into that next this is an interesting one It's too bad it's not in color this my lovely wife deborah had a remark about she said yeah it's a nice picture but you know what it looks like you know, in the fun drivers for the synagogues yeah. when they have the thermometer as yeah. the money goes up. <laughs> I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have caught that. I have what you don't that. see in this picture that, that there is a bulb on top that kind of shines. Right. Mm-hmm. She ruined it for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is another uh, very poetic piece, I think. Next. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, we went. Uh, I was in a show and. In Naples, and a couple of times, but last year we went uh, and I worked with. This is not Naples, Florida. <laughs> in Naples, there used to be some really good uh, etchers, uh, printmakers, master printers, and most of them were all gone because of the digital thing. There's one guy left who was recommended to me. I was on a visiting artist. At the American Academy of art of Rome. Academy of Rome last year, and it was recommended that I see this guy. well, he, he is a sketch i mean he 's bent over and he has a cigar and he 's working, but anyway he 's very, very talented and we made a deal that uh, he, and he goes to f- fairs he with with his own artist made books he has some very well known artists that uh, I would, if I had the time, if we could send Deborah out walking somewhere for three hours, mm-hmm. and I could uh, just etch a plate, uh, we would work on a print together, which we did, and we did it uh, by mail later on. Uh, and we ended up with a lovely etching, a, uh, an aquatint, which this again, doesn't do justice, but we're gonna do a second one. So there's a nice story behind this. Okay, I also see the influence here of Hans Hoffman. There is the push and the pull and and all that. Okay, next.
1: Wow.
0: So that's why I selected these, so that you can see that it was not only Rothko and Reinhardt, but Hoffman as well. Right. Next.
1: I never saw these, where do you keep them?
0: (laughs) I keep them from you. (laughs) Next. You can just keep going. what? That's very. Marin. Yes. Yeah. Marin-ish. Yes. yes. I was. Marin-ish. I was influenced by, in a series of things by Marin. I mean, he has something to say. Marin talks about the space between the the events. If you think of looking at a Marin with that those <laughs> that phrase in mind, I think you'll appreciate Marin's uh, a, a great deal more. Uh, Okay, these, this, we're cutting now to just what's happening in the last months, uh, a story. <laughs> Deborah and I decided we had enough of the winters in uh, upstate Woodstock, <laughs> the snows, and uh, we made it happen that we were in uh, Miami for three months. So of course I thought I would just go down the street from where we are and find a place, rent a studio, and continue working. I can't be without a studio for three, four months sometime. Well, as soon as the reality hit, I realized I cannot recreate my studio, if you ever saw it, in another place. I mean, it's just got too much stuff and too much history. I, I could not do it. I have a press. It, it's just impossible. So we were toying with the idea of uh, look, if it's important to you to go to work, we won't go to Florida anymore. But I came up with a substitute. I walked to the neighborhood with a camera. And I started to reacquaint myself with photography that I had done in graduate school. I was a, a studio assistant, in fact, for Walter Rosenblum, if any of you know m- great photographers. Uh, and I started taking pictures. And and I hope I can say this quickly and succinctly. Can I, when I try When you take a picture? Can I try? Okay.
1: It's not these aren't pictures of objects or monuments or people. They're pictures again in a Reinhardian sense of elements of design that occur within other contexts. So it's as if I framed, you know, this and it became an abstraction in and of itself and then you juxtapose those abstractions with others and you come up with these collages that are, they're not recognizable things in and of themselves, but they are—they respect the planes and they respect okay. the details.
0: Well, well said. And I'll, I'll build on that just a little bit, just to get more personal in a way. Uh, everybody's a photographer, which is good. And some people can take very good pictures. And even when you look at a wonderful picture in a museum and it belongs to be there, it belongs there, it's a wonderful picture, it's one picture. When you see a picture in relation to something else, something happens in the mind and you start to make associations visually and psychologically about them. So uh, I learned that in a practical way. I had a photograph on my work table, and I had some colored swatches of things I was doing, and one happened to just bump up against the photograph. This was a photograph of beans, okay? And it was a nice photograph of beans. It was taken in India, it was very colorful. As soon as this colored, brush-stroked piece of paper came in contact with it, it was something. It was something else. you have one picture and you put it in relation to another picture, if you make sure it doesn't make sense, because making sense is corny, I mean, when I'm going to put a picture of somebody like this next to somebody like that, no, it starts to take on its own reality. So these new ones, as Mark pointed out, have to do with the way it's fitting on the page and the design, but also think of this have an archive of thousands of photographs, okay? To make a shidduch between one and the other and imagine they're gonna work together in a strange way Mm -hmm. is an interesting endeavor.
1: And here are some of the results you'll see. Okay,
0: next. Now for example, just to see what they are, okay? The little flickering things are Uh, there were oil cans that were in a recycle uh, facility in Mumbai. There's a doorway which looks like a doorway but it's really just a painting in Naples of a figure. There's a staircase in a hotel in Miami and there's Deborah's mother's hallway in Queens. Mm -hmm. Now these have nothing to do with each other, and
1: that's the point. <laughs> but the colors and the elements, the shininess, right, they all relate, uh, and, they, and it makes the whole thing, pulls the whole thing together. Can we see some more? Uh,
0: I didn't want to stay just to the rectangle. So there you have on the bottom a bus that's empty because I got on to the first stop. It's hard to, to You're looking
1: at a tour bus. It's hard. Let's just enjoy them for the okay. juxtaposition of elements. You don't have to explain what each is.
0: Well, uh, let me explain. Let me show you this. <laughs> um, the first layer, let's go from the top. The first layer is just, uh, in, in Rome, a lot of the outer, the outer doors are calligraphied and stuff, OK? Uh, then you get in the inner part of the uh, verticals. Those are sewing machines. See the sewing machines? Yes. Oh. Yeah,
1: he's showing. He's using the arrow. Oh, those. Mel Malkoff, master of the mouse. Oh. Thank you, Mel. Okay, and then
0: you have... Uh, mice are us. Mouses are mice. You have mice. doorways, and then you have in the middle something in a temple in India, and then you have whatever. They're just from all over. So here's what's happening. In one image, by the way, these are... Good question. Most people look at this and they say, oh, you took a lot of pictures, you pushed a couple of buttons, and you have what's called a digital...
1: Collage. Collage.
0: Uh-uh. These are individual photographs, cut out by this hand, and I have the cuts to show it, <laughs> pasted next to each other so that you actually see the texture C- of one next to the other, and the whole thing is on Arches 300-pound uh, Arches uh, cover paper, a handmade paper from, from France. So the whole thing is, uh, is, is, is a lot different than when you see a digital collaged piece.
1: They're like 24 by 26, maybe. Are they that thick? Yeah, yeah, they're about that yeah.
0: size. Be 30 inches. It's
1: a final example.
0: I now, think. the lady, for example, in the middle, that's a that's a sculpture in a uh, in a room in the Metropolitan Museum that nobody visits. It's the Empress Julia Flavia. Everybody knows that. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> God. See that. But nobody is ever there when I'm there. It's huh. some kind of a, an 18th century, you know, they, they don't go there. In the middle of the, uh, those, the black, it's a Jain temple in India. And uh, then there's some other Indian things, but that's all put together in that form. Or oh, next.
1: Mm.
0: Now the blue in the middle, you, oh, let's see, I wish we could point. Okay, starting from the middle out. You see that bird? Yeah. You'd never expect that, that bird is on Broadway in Manhattan oh, and wow. 83rd Street or so. Wow. Because nobody looks up, right. except the crazy artist. Tourists. It's there. The tourists, right? Well, there's no tourists in that area because there's nothing touristable. <laughs> uh, there's a, uh, around it is uh, washed up from the beach in Miami, uh, some kind of a seaweed. Around that is a Harley Davidson mm-hmm. insignia. And around that, those are the, uh, uh, just some of the stuff you find on the walls in San Francisco. Mm. So this is an example. You get something that is in one image that could be a thousand miles apart from the other. It could be hundreds of years apart from the other. It could be totally different ideas from the other. And you marry them. What a shit <laughs>
1: Well, Dad, I think that you've effectively demonstrated, and here's one last, that's sort of African-looking, that hall, Deborah's mother's hall, appears again here. (laughs) Um, I think you've um, effectively demonstrated uh, the marriage between all the elements that went into what makes you an artist today, and I think that people at this point probably have some questions. So thank you very, very much.
0: Thank you. And
1: um, we can... The questions. If you want to come forward a little bit, um, we'll take some questions just very briefly. Uh, yes. Please, please explain the connection to my name is as Asher Lev. Please explain the connection to. Well, I can explain that. Okay. Um, um, uncle who was uh, Chaim Potok. Turns out that it really is a story of my father. People have said it's Chaim Soutine, it's other people, but it wasn't that Cha- that Potak knew. Uh, dad. It was just that he heard this story. It was in circulation in Chabad. Nowadays, Chabad is so funky, right, that everybody's an artist in Chabad. But most Chabad artists are, are painting, dancing, Hasidim, right, which is, uh, which is something different than we see here. Uh, uh, next question. Who painted crucifixion? Not him. Uh Lev. <laughs> in the book. My name is Ashur All right. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, you, you said that
0: there was some, uh, you know, influence um, of you know, of pages of Talmud. Things looked like pages of Talmud. There seem to be actually a number of those. And um, uh, does your interest in the the type of um, uh, layout and and um, com- composition of the art that you that uh, you and some of the other artists that we worked with uh, did. Uh, um, do you think that uh, because several of them were Jewish, do you think that that maybe that that layout of the page kind of uh, inspired them? Okay, so uh, to repeat, so
1: we can we can hear it on the on the podcast. Is there an influence in the shape of the page of Talmud uh, in the art of uh, these Jewish immigrant artists and my father's art?
0: Okay, the first thing is two of the at least two of the the immigrant artists were totally uninterested in Judaism. I mean, Mark, Marcus Rothkowitz, who became Mark Rothko, uh, has expressed many times his disinterest in it. Reinhardt, from the day one, never did. So I don't think that that had an influence, but who knows? As far as my work is concerned, if it had an influence, it's subliminal.
1: Okay, another question. We can take two more questions we have? Do I see a hand? Anybody? Oh, okay. One, two. Okay. Um, The first part of
0: your lecture was concerned with um, a very restrictive environment. Then you went to a very free environment. But you seem like the restrictions, the doubts that you have, you didn't use to question all the things you were exposed to in art. And I wonder how you are reconciling the two parts of the talk that you were uh, speaking about. They just seem so
1: different in how you were as a person reacting to them. Okay, so the disparateness between being in a very restrictive environment and coming out of it and the fact that you seem to accept what was taught you in art school even though th- that had its own boundaries and restrictions.
0: Oh, I'm constantly questioning. I'm constantly questioning. do not if, if your question implies that I'm just buying everything, absolutely not. Uh, I, I feel totally free, especially at this time in my life. I told a woman earlier who was a gallerist, I don't know if she's still here, that when I was younger, uh, the galleries kind of insisted that I follow a particular style, whatever that was. They have a portfolio of several and one. That, that would, went against my grain because I'm curious. I see something or I hear something, I want to try it. Okay, so there is there's, now,
1: there's a continuing strand, you would say, of inquisitiveness yes. in both, both parts. Yes, Naomi. Anyway. Do, you, do you find that uh, trying to maintain your authentic, Artistic voice and experimenting uh, with different forms is very much like putting the, the handkerchief, handkerchief in the pocket, in the pocket and, and having that tension. Smart question, as
0: usual. Thanks. Sometimes, in fact, frequently, it feels like I'm, when I'm working, the best work comes when I'm working on the edge, when I don't know how it's going to come out. In fact, that's one of the criteria why I am interested in working at this point in my life. How is it going to come out? What if I... And what if I... Maybe if I... I could only you know, try it, throw it out if it's not good. I'm not uh-huh. concerned. About
1: Dad, I want to thank you for teaching me how to live on the edge. It's something that I try to do in every day and in every way, and I think that for all of us, um, uh, all us, our patrons and followers and and appreciators of the Community Scholars Program, it's been a great pleasure to have you here, and uh, for me, a great honor to be able to be in conversation with you, so thank (laughs) thank you